0: Let's get on with the show.
1: I would say that it's the times of greatest uncertainty where the value of thought leadership is at its strongest, because the, you know, because the situation is crying out for people to make sense of it. You could sit there and you could just say, "Well, so much is changing. I don't know what to say." But you know, I'd say give it a go. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be what it. I mean, it should be in the sense that you've done your research and you've thought about it. but It doesn't have to be just you. It could be about you and a team of people giving your best guess of where the journey takes, not just you, but your customers or your members and so on. Welcome to the show. My
0: name is Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, the influence and persuasion show to help you become a powerfully persuasive communicator and to build influence and authority in your industry. Now I am happy and sad because this is the very last episode under the Speaking Influence banner, but don't go anywhere. Don't think you need to cancel the show. I'm coming back with a new show called Podfluence, which is going to be on all the same themes of influence and persuasion with a much stronger focus on podcasting and podcasts as a medium for building your authority and creating greater influence and becoming a more entertaining and engaging speaker, interviewer, and more besides. So I hope you're going to love that. I have already recorded some amazing shows and I'm looking forward to bringing that out. For regular listeners, I must apologize. There has been a bit of a break and you may have been expecting this show out a little bit sooner than it actually came. And there have been various reasons for that. One of them is international travel, going back to UK for the first time in uh since before COVID and then unfortunately getting sick whilst I was there and uh, so not being well enough to put a show out last weekend and then also starting a new job and I'm going to tell you more about all that sort of thing in a little bonus episode to introduce the new show a bit more and to explain what's been going on with the show and why I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break from recording the show because I need it and I need time to work on my new job and I'll tell you all about who I'm working with because it's in the podcasting world and it's really exciting. But I want you to enjoy this episode with my guest, Trevor Meriden. I've been looking forward to having an in-depth conversation about thought leadership, where I got to explore my preconceptions and misconceptions about thought leadership, which I think many people might share too. And Trevor is a great guest to speak to about this with his background in journalism, and he's a ghostwriter and also is helping people with their content and developing thought leadership content for and with different businesses i think you'll enjoy the conversation and get a lot out of it especially if you are someone who is looking to get more into thought leadership in your own industry and area then you're going to get a lot of value out of this particular episode And do make sure you stay tuned as we transition into Podfluence in a short while. I had been saying it was going to be at the start of this month. It's going to be a little bit later now, simply because I didn't know at that time that I was going to be starting a new job. So because of all of that, there is going to be a little bit of a delay on bringing that show. But do enjoy this particular episode. And I look forward to your comments and your input, especially hearing what you think about Podfluence coming very soon. All right. Enjoy the show. Welcome to
1: Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball.
0: Welcome to the show and today we are going to be taking a look at the world of content creation and thought leadership, something that I know is going to be very important to anyone who tunes into this show, because it's something I've talked about a number of times and have guests to talk about this in various different ways. Today, we have someone who has a great deal of expertise in this. In fact, that is his business, is what he does with a background in journalism and ghostwriting as well. And, and lots of other things that I really want to hopefully get onto talking about. I want to welcome to the show, Trevor Meriden. Hello, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for showing up Trevor and I've really been looking forward to speaking to you and I'm going to lead in by asking you what I ask everyone at the start of the show, which is who is somebody for you who you maybe look up to respect and admire for their persuasion for their influence and for how they've used that maybe in business
1: in life in whatever aspect. Interestingly, I mean, and there are many politicians who I, I don't have a lot of time for, but one of the ones who I feel is most influential is somebody who maybe many of your listeners might not have heard of, but is, is our local MP. Her name is Daisy Cooper. I won't go into issues about which political party she's in, but the thing is she is totally focused on listening to what the constituents are and then influenced in the debate in parliament. She's just been voted back, backbencher of the year. And and it's not a political point, but I, but I, I admire her greatly because her influencing skills go far beyond what a sort of a backbench MP would normally do. If you're talking in the field of business, for example, I admire people from the top employers Institute who always seem to be able to sort of get a lot of their content out in the work foundation, the CIPD, who I work with sort of quite closely. We seem to be able to shape the debate around workplace issues. Great. well, that's a great
0: answers, Trevor. Thank you for that. And so I want to come to now, maybe sort of defining our terms before we get started. I think most people probably understand what content creation is and content strategy might be about, but perhaps maybe less understood is what maybe we mean by thought leadership. And so yeah. when we talk about that, what do you mean when you talk about thought leadership?
1: I'll give you a very brief history of thought leadership. I'll tell you the short version. It's important to be clear about what we mean about thought leaders and thought leadership, I mean thought leader as a term was actually, when I did my research into this area, when I started the business was first used in the 19th century in America, it was originally referred to the enlightened views of of those favoring the uh, abolition of slavery. Now, um, there was a guy called Henry Ward Beach, who was seen as one of the great thought leaders in America, had a lot to say on the subject. And then the term was kind of used sporadically in the decades that followed. And and then it became popularized in the business sense by a guy called Joel Kurtzman, who was the editor in chief of the Harvard business review and strategy and business magazine. And he used the modern form of the term by declaring that thought leaders are people with distinctively original ideas and unique perspective and unprecedented insight. That's the kind of official thing that he said. Okay. What happened, and this is why some people are a bit vague about the concept of thought leadership. Over subsequent decades the term grew in popularity. It grew perhaps a bit a little too much because every business and self-styled guru wanted to promote their own sort of version of thought leadership. And and as the quantity of thought leadership boards grew, their their quality often diminished. And so you found that a lot of worthwhile efforts to be genuinely unique and unprecedented in your insight became drowned out by what was effectively a lot of thinly disguised sales pitches. And in our business, we've always thought of thought leadership as all about unlocking knowledge and expertise from a trusted source, just to provide a valuable perspective for others to then have something to act on. Does that make sense or? It does. So, so when you work with people on thought leadership, what is it that you are actually helping them to do? Well, I mean. Pandemic has changed quite a lot in, in in that respect. I mean, but and we've received a big surge in, in interest in thought leadership. And the thing to do is get them to articulate their proposition, but not in a sort of buy our good or buy our product or buy our service, but to be talking about the issues that affect their buyers. That's the number one thing that we're trying to get them to do. So we're talking knowledgeably, of course. It's a soft sell because what they're, it is a sell, but what they're doing is is actually getting their point of view about what the issues face, like say, number one, showing knowledge of what the buyer's issues are. They're putting themselves in the shoes of their buyers and, you know, yeah, perhaps suggesting ways forward for solving those problems. Even if those problems might not directly lead to someone buying their product or buying their service about putting yourself at the center of the debate. And that's what I help clients to do. And there's an external dimension to that, which is, of course, around branding. You're saying, well, they're knowledgeable people, you know, and if we have a need for that good or that service, then those are the people that we're going to go to. Increasingly, over the years, I've discovered that there's a power in what I do and other people who do similar things to me do. Is You're actually talking to people inside of an organization who may not actually talk about that issue themselves very much. You know, they just get on with their jobs. They're all in their little compartments, um, sort of dealing with things. And when you get them together in a room and they're talking about their proposition, you often find there's a lot of cross chat going on. Where saying, "I didn't know you thought that." Oh, right, okay. Well, why don't we do this, or why don't we market to that area instead? And actually, it's almost like a sort of cleansing or clarifying act inside of a business. And so, so we help to, and of course. There is the upshot of that we hope that it increases their commercial sales or increases their membership, if they're a membership organization, or just spreads the influence that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And so when, I guess when you talk about putting people into the center
0: of those conversations, that's where the content strategy comes in and things like that. And yeah. The branding. That's is you talk right. about. So yeah. are there any examples you can give us of people we may have even heard of who are thought leaders have become thought leaders in a way that you can see how they've done that, or maybe even you've helped them to do that.
1: Well, yeah. And I'll try and give you an example of, with slightly different sort of angles, is that I've been working, uh, top employers in is one of them, in fact, that where we help a number of subjects around a report they were writing called the World of Work Trends Report, and that's a sort of big kind of macro type report. And what they want to do is, they want to be known as exemplifying the best in what they call the people practices—stuff that the HR department or the or, or any sort of people-focused leader sort of were with. Point of that, well, that's what they're doing is that they're a membership organization, and they sort of have company members. And the point of producing thought leadership in that case, their companies, the companies they were were members, are getting good value for their membership—that they're receiving thoughtful, insightful, knowledgeable content and start a debate within their business or they can latch onto in some other way that there is this kind of collaborative sort of marketing effort that's going on between a membership organization and member that's one there's a hr organization specializing in retail that have worked with producing a big report on the dna of retail in terms of what they what they actually need in their armory and their toolkit in order to survive in the retail world this has become a particularly big issue in retail because you may have noticed during the pandemic that a lot of retailers didn't do very well. They were closed down half the time. And then when they weren't closed down, they were, you know, suddenly going, we said they were switching online at the same time. And there's this sort of chaotic environment and the whole DNA that, that, that you know, you go into people who are leaders in that workforce need has completely changed. So we did a sort of a kind of scientific study, if you like, about it. What are those qualities that are needed? It's so a mixture of quantitative and also qualitative interviews all the leaders across the world in retailing saying, well, how has the industry changed and what do people need for the future? That directly creates conversations that lead to sales. And yeah. so people are saying, well, yeah, actually we do have a problem. We didn't realize we had a problem in that particular area in terms of the way our workforce collaborates with each other or their engagement in, of, of the works, how do we even stay in their jobs for longer? And it's provoked a lot of creative conversations and also has led to sales. Third example, if you can allow me that one, another one, which is for an example is where an organization is not a membership organization, is not trying to directly get sales through a debate, but is just trying to show the world that it has a mastery of the issues, not necessarily for a commercial value. And, and so one example of this is, I work with the British Council in Asia, and they are an organization that seeks to sort of spread the influence of English culture across across the world. And they, they wanted to do a big piece around what they saw as a demographic time bomb across Asia. How are you going to, there's a huge number of young people sort of coming up through the generations and there just simply wasn't enough university resources there to actually supply the needs of this population. The British Council has been involved with British universities, trying to spread that, that are relocating or setting up satellite organizations across Asia. And it was all about spreading knowledge of those issues to positions, say, look, we can help in this area. That's about spreading influence and knowledge. And yes, there is an aim in that in terms of culture and influence. But again, it's about putting yourself at the center of that debate. Yeah. A
0: a lot of people who tune into this show, maybe more like myself, maybe even like yourself, having a business and wanting to be someone who is seen individually as a thought leader, as somebody who is a go-to person to ask about these sorts of topics like you would be a go-to person to ask about content strategy and thought leadership in the first place so being a thought leader on thought leadership is an interesting position but what are the kind of strategies or things that that people should be thinking about in order to be able to start positioning themselves in that way and what
1: kind of benefits are likely to come from that when they do i changed a lot in the last couple of years. And so the positioning question is a little bit different. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us that it's, it's actually okay to not know all the answers. So, the first thing I would say to your listeners is that thought leadership is a journey, not a destination, that that it's okay to not all know all the answers, but it's essential that you take the people that you're trying to influence with you on the journey. So if you think about it, thought leadership could be a starting point and a catalyst to the formation of a business and content strategy doesn't have to be the final word so in a way you're just starting a debate Uh, i think the second thing is that we a lot of the question that you've asked of course is that it's assuming that when we're talking about thought leadership we are talking about an individual we all Mm. have this including myself until not so long ago we have this image of the guru you know somebody who's just sort of stroking their chin thinking deep thoughts you know and then emerging and saying i've seen the future and it's like this it doesn't really work like that and i think business you'll have you know we will have all seen through the development of remote working and a disparate workforce the leaders are being forced to move towards more enabling forms of leadership you know rather than the heroic all-seeing all-knowing forms of leadership so And the same is true of thought leadership. So the value of thought leadership is increasingly, I would say, derived from the collective talents of the group, not an all-knowing chin-stroking guru. And it's difficult to shake off some of the stereotypes because it's easier sometimes to just think of one person. But when we think of thought leaders, I I think we need to think about the collection of ideas that might emerge from a, a business or an entity that's trying to influence. A debate and that's good for business because it's making the use of the all the collective talents of that business so there's a couple of things a couple of things there the models of selling also have changed quite a lot so so i would the other the final thing i would say for people who are trying to think get their heads around how can i be a thought leadership is that most business to business buyers want to stick to new models of buying a lot of that's more in the online and virtual world and a lot of b2b sellers are also With some reluctance, in some cases, embracing new ways of selling. Many sellers say they prefer face-to-face selling. Now, many admit that they are able to achieve contacts or meetings through the virtual environment in ways that they couldn't. So when you are thinking about how you present and talk about your thought leadership, remember that the models have changed as, as well, that nobody expects models to fully go back. Yes, there are a few more physical meetings that are happening now I don't think it's going to go fully back to to where it is. And why is that important, thought leadership? It's because in the absence of as much face-to-face contact, it's become increasingly important. But the thought leadership that you put out is expressed in a sort of engaging way that provokes a debate in the way that I, I sort of outlined. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting to me, and it's curious to talk about things that have changed during the pandemic, because I I think I've looked at this from some different perspectives and this has given me a new way of thinking about it, which I really like and appreciate that because one of the things I've talked about quite a few times on the show is how a relationship has become much more important and how things have moved into more relationship marketing and how people have moved Mm. away from sort of the the flashy know-it-all gurus, as we mentioned, more to people who are a bit more real about it and not claiming to have all the answers, but having the help, but it. I like what you're saying about the collaboration factor mm-hmm. and that people are working together and it's becoming more a sort of group of thought leadership it's like yeah, i actually i can see that i can see that you know, through what i've been yeah. doing in, in podcasting and the people who i've been connecting with who i would generally consider to be you know some of them are maybe higher up the ladder and some of them around the same sort of level and some of them maybe not as high up, but we work together, we collaborate together and we're not necessarily seen as individuals, but more of a pack of like, these are all the people who talk about these things and it's not just one guru. So I sort of thinking, I've talked about like maybe the age of the guru is dead or at least dying and you are seeing that from a slightly different perspective, which I really like. Yeah. And I think it makes a lot of sense in yeah in why things are moving the way they are. And if I felt that things were heading
1: that way anyway, and that COVID accelerated it. And- I think that there are many things, you know, and I do this in my own writing is that things that were happening anyway, have been accelerated by the pandemic, you know, the growth of flexible working, you know, there's a number, any number of examples that things were actually, you know, if I take the view of say an HR director in a business, there were lots of things that were on the too difficult pile pre-pandemic but they were, and they were being nudged along that suddenly became possible that suddenly it was proven you know beyond any shadow of doubt that it was perfectly possible for workforces to to work remotely if they have to now everybody's achieving their sort of own hybrid balance, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I do think you know, a big part of this was like, we were all very
0: desperate for connection for a long time whilst we were locked down and it's like, so we had, our uh, online connections to rely on. And that was sometimes the only outside connections we were able to make for a while. And for me personally, that did allow to create new relationships and deepen some of the existing connections that already had. But I think this conversation hopefully takes a lot of pressure off people for thinking they have to be the be all and end all in their area. And as you say, thinking that you have to have all the answers and you actually don't because there are other people that do, it doesn't mean you have to partner with them on everything, but it does mean you just recognize that you are just a part of the conversation
1: so you're, you're absolutely right and you know yeah. in addition to collaboration i kind of think about it in three things it's, it's one of these alliteration things that i have a weakness for alliteration which is <laughs> i call it the three c's and one of them is collaboration you know that yes you've, you've got this collection of minds and you're seeing that in sort of like academic collaborations all over the world at the moment that everybody admits they don't have all the answers to the big problems and so they work together the second thing is, it's okay not to know all the answers. I think you must have the second C though, which is curiosity. You know, there, there is realization, believe it or not, called the global curiosity Institute. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, so look it up. There is a global curiosity Institute and they produce figures saying, I'm going to read this bit off here. So 86% of professionals agree that curious employees are more likely to bring an idea to life at work. Well, 79% are more like to generate an idea and 75% are more like to share an idea. This power of curiosity is a great thing. Thought leadership or the act of thought leadership in a collaborative way sort of embeds this curiosity. And if you think about what people have had to be in order to survive in businesses and then or take advantage of very strange circumstances that we've found ourselves in recently, a lot of it is about curiosity. But what will work? Shall we try this? It doesn't matter if it's not perfect. Let's be curious. Let's just try it out. Because a lot of them were thinking, well, if we don't try something out, we're all going to go out of business. And the third C is, these things always have to come in threes, don't they as well, is clarity. And thought leadership can be catalytic in the process of clarity. Because if you, we all know, and we've all had those moments in life where if we achieve a clarity of purpose in what we do in our teams, then that stimulates creativity, increases productivity, and everybody just feels like a natural flow because they know it is clear what they are trying to do for leadership actually is almost the medium through which you can get clarity around what you're doing that the people in that meeting room that i described earlier yeah who are saying i didn't know you thought that oh right okay and you know people who probably be talking more and yeah. and so that they achieve this clarity of purpose and it gets down to the soul of the business about the purpose of what they're doing your know, purpose is a big attractor of talent into business as well. So yeah, people want to join organizations with a clarity of purpose too. So it doesn't, it's not just, this isn't all just words, you know, in terms of me producing words that makes a client happy. This is all about getting into the soul of the organisation and working different ways.
0: I've been having a lot of conversations with people recently about expertise. Some of that's been on recordings, some of it has been outside the podcasting. But what even makes an expert? What is expertise all about? And and it's interesting that some people clearly do look to as experts, but I think a lot of people are even waiting or holding themselves back, thinking I don't know enough yet or I don't have solidified positions. Yes. And I think some of this has come from the political world with this idea that it's flip-flopping, they, they call it in politics of uh, changing your position mm. in politics that's accused of being a bad thing but in life you should evolve your positions you should flip-flop as they call it you should change and develop with new information and so this idea that you're supposed to be fixed you're supposed to get to a certain level I don't think it's really achievable. I think you can maybe present an image of that, but I don't think you can ever really be that. And Emerson said that a foolish consistency is the hub of mine. Yes. To, to, <laughs> so, so sticking with something just to be consistent for the sake of not vacillating on it is going to hurt you in the long run, yeah. even if it gives you a, a public image of, oh, I've stayed, I've held this position all this time. So, so I. I what I want to come back to, though, is this idea that we think we have to be at a certain level to be able to even get into the conversation. And yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And what you're saying is like having the curiosity is maybe more important here.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I'd answer that on sort of two levels. I mean, if we're talking about the level of seniority in a business, you know, if you think about, I mean, I was working with a client. It was a, it was pre-pandemic, so a few, a few years ago now. But the, the example still relevant because it shows those three C's that I mentioned sort of in in entirety, but, but this person was quite junior in the organization, but he was part of a collaborative online sort of network that we'd grown in their business from about 20, you know, to be honest with you, a little bit stuffy senior leaders in the organization with varying shades of enthusiasm for this kind of online communications sort of platform, and we had bit by bit managed to break down resistance and then we found ourselves in a situation with about 2,000 people in this platform so it had grown by about 100 times and a lot of the conversations that were going on were clearly helping the business and one example of this was quite a junior guy they were a an insurance business and had an idea when there were lots of floods here in the uk a, a few years ago who said well hang on a sec. we know all the postcodes of where the areas that have been flooded why don't we send out proactive communications to these people, sort of reassuring things saying, look, you know, we've got your back. We know you're in trouble at the moment, you know, sort of, you know, in these flooded areas and we're going to, why don't we sort of say there, that we will hold or suspend payments that you need to make to us for the next three months in terms of premiums and other support. And if there is any other way that we can help you, you know, it's proactive communication, getting in touch with customers who, you know, are in trouble in some way and. Um, So he had this idea and he put this into a big kind of ideas forum of this. And then within about an hour, the HR director, the finance director, the CEO had said, What a brilliant idea this is. Come and present it to us next week at the board. Um, His first reaction was, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to have to go present this at the board. His second reaction was, Well, where am I going to get more ideas, you know, for this? So this was a, this was a business that had branches in America. The Mississippi had been flooded. Recently, he spoke to somebody in that area about what they had done in a similar situation. He got a he got data from over in Asia, you know, and brought these about how best practice in tackling these sorts of issues when the unexpected happens. And so he got these ideas together. They weren't perfect, but he went and presented at the board meeting. The ideas were refined a bit, but adopted. He was put on a sort of steering committee to make sure that the spirit of his idea was kept and it created a big increase in sort of customer satisfaction levels in those areas affected by the flooding. So there's the point about sort of seniority, if you like, there's another part of what you're, you're saying there about timing, about, you know, you, you mentioned in, in, in what you were saying just now about things that are changing. I'm not sure that my view is worth any more than anybody else's. I would say that it's the times of greatest uncertainty where the value of thought leadership is at its strongest because the, you know, because the situation is crying out for people to make sense of it. You could sit there and you could just say, well, so much is changing. I don't know what to say, but you know, I'd say give it a go. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be what it, I mean, it should be in the sense that you've done your research and you've thought about it, but it doesn't have to be just you. It could be about you and a team of people giving your best guess of where the journey takes not just you but your customers or your members and so on i'd say the times of the greatest uncertainty are where thought leaders are probably needed the most
0: i I would agree that people are crying out for leadership and direction and a well-considered and well-informed opinion is certainly a lot more valuable than arguing with people on twitter and sharing just these yeah. little bits of random opinion on there, which probably isn't going to get noticed if it just gets swallowed up into the sea yeah. of everyone else doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess this is somewhat where content strategy is going to come in a bit more. And so as someone who has a background in, in journalism and radio PR and things like that, what are the kinds of ways that you think are most effective for people to actually get into the conversation and be considered someone who is a valid part, an active part of the conversation and in, in the topics that they want to be
1: known for? Okay. So I've been on both sides of this, you know, in terms of, I've been an editor of magazines where lots of people were pitching ideas into me. And I've been on the other side. I had a spell where we kind of grew this PR and, you know, a lot during that time, but I was pitching into the people that I used to, <laughs> that I used to be. And I mean, I would say mentally that in, in order to get your voice sort of heard. In the debate, you don't need to write a big, you know, in terms of, you know, pitching effectively, you know, for a radio show or appearing in a magazine or any other sort of medium. I'd say that your tone, yeah you, you first of all, it's, it's you need to do your research on the medium which you're trying to get into or the station or, or have a good idea of the sorts of issues that they cover. so always put your in the same way that I said earlier on putting yourself in the shoes of the customer, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the show, you know, so you need to understand what that show's doing, the types of features they have, the slots they. They have that a lot of these things have regular slots or regular ways of looking at things so first of all do a bit of research on that i think generally my experience is generally receptive to questions about types of shows or features that there are on a particular show that's number one put yourself in the, in in the shoes i think if you are pitching something in you know you've got something to say on a subject the best emails for example that i've had in to me as a as an editor were relatively brief. You know, a nice line about hope you had a good weekend or whatever. And, uh, but after that, it's just like three or four lines, you know, about what the proposition is or what it is that you're wanting to talk to. I think it, if you're talking to a news organization, there needs to be some sort of topical hook, you know, that something has happened in, you know, this is something that's directly related to. If it's not a kind of time sensitive thing, like a news organization, then Yes, the the quality of the thought is there, but it doesn't need to be put through in more than about sort of I'd say three or four sentences. In the case of a, an email or a short inquiry, you know, as to whether this would be of of interest. Very often, a lot of these things, a lot of frustrations at the point of the people who pitch in, is that you know, they might receive no reply. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad idea. It could be a good idea at the wrong time for that person who's on the receiving end. And the reason sometimes people get, don't get back to you is very rarely the reason you think, you know, they hated the idea or it just went straight into junk. It, it's very rarely that if you have any opportunities to actually meet the people, you know, that you're, you're trying to, whose radio show or things like that, then that's always a, that's always a good idea or have some other sort of form of communication. If you don't have that opportunity i think there is a little bit of trial and error but you could cut a lot you can really increase your chances by a short intelligent pitch and also by understanding what the magazine or video show is looking for in the first place
0: yeah it's interesting to me because as a podcast host and it's something i probably didn't expect when i started doing this i get a lot of pitches for people to come on the show and of course i don't accept everyone. I, I just can't. I honestly do not have the time yeah. to accept every pitch that comes to me. So I am looking for who's going to be relevant to my audience, who's going to be interesting, I think, interesting to talk to. And I definitely appreciate when people can nutshell this stuff more and be brief in their approach. But what I do see a lot, apart from the, or, or, you know, the general copy and paste stuff or the lazy stuff, I mean, honestly, like yesterday, someone said, somebody sent me a message and said, hey, I'd love to be on your show okay i don't care so, you great on? thanks yeah. <laughs> yeah why what could you maybe could you maybe <laughs> elucidate on that a little bit but you know i don't even feel like i that deserves the time for me to go back yeah, yeah. and say or even ask the question why i did but you know i didn't doesn't don't feel that, that really deserves it but people think it's all about them i want to be out there i have content i want to share this yeah. i want to give you my thought leadership whereas you're saying you know, make it about them making it which just makes so much more sense if i see a pitch for someone coming on my my show who understands what my show's about and has something particular to offer my audience i see value in that and that makes it's an easy yes for me then whereas if it's just i can do this i can do that i've done this i've done that it's okay but I might see something in there, but that's really chancing it. Whereas it's much quicker and clearer and I appreciate people who save me time. And these are all really important things Like everybody, I think everybody does. Everyone appreciates people who can really be brief on this stuff, who can really save time, who get it as well that all right. Clearly you have thought about what value you're giving specifically to me, not just this is the value I give to everybody because I'm so marvellous. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what we can appreciate. So, yeah, I yeah. think that there's a lot we can take from that.
1: Yeah, it's all about how can I bring value to your show, not how can I use your show to promote my product or service. It's really important. The one thing I would say on larger news organisations, by the way, I mean, like we're in the podcasting sort of a world. And, you know, so a lot of those pictures will come into you or to me, um, in larger news organizations, of course, although the visible side of that is the presenter, you know, of BBC national radio show or something, very often the people, the powers behind the thrones are the producers or editors of those shows. And those are the people who you should be talking to the presenters. Yeah. will have an influence, you know, so on on content, but, um, but very often they're being told what's coming up next in the show in case it's a sort of news radio show, for example.
0: Right. So here we are in the world of podcasting then. And so let me ask you this more specifically around podcasting. How important do you see podcasting as being for
1: thought leadership as a guest, as a host, or maybe as both? You know, I've seen, I've read a lot of articles recently saying that the podcasting market is saturated. I don't really agree with that. I think like a lot of things, there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of them are very, a lot of them are a bit boring. You know, just sort of, you know, half-hour sort of monologues, and I'd say that a market is saturated if you look at it in its entirety. There is a, I think that there is a ripe market for intelligent, thoughtful podcasts where people are either showcasing guests who have things to say, or if they do have something to say themselves, they're making sure they use collective talents. It's getting back to the same points I was making before that actually. The podcast host, in my view, is very definitely not saying I have all the answers. They are saying, you know, there's some really interesting issues here. Why don't we explore them? we've got this great guest over here and a great guest over there. We're bringing that, in between us. We'll just try and give you some sort of view of the world that will make you think, you know, if you think about where people listen to podcasts, you know, I don't know about you personally, but I'm always listening to them when I'm on a run or I'm doing something where I'm kind of by myself, Well, there is time, which isn't dead time because I'm doing something useful, <laughs> hopefully, like getting some exercise, but it's additional thing, but it's a time when I probably think my best and yeah. I am there to be stimulated. If you like in the mind, as well as in the body, you know, in my particular case. So the nature of podcasting, I think is all about the provocation to spur you on to not give you a prescriptive solution for everything, but to just kind of air the issues. You know, the podcast host and the guests they have, Yeah, you know, obviously it will be putting themselves at the center of that debate, but then that increases your knowledge and the value you feel you're getting from the podcast as a listener. Do you
0: feel that one or the other is more beneficial in terms of guesting or hosting?
1: Oh, cracky. Um... <laughs> Well, that's a great question, actually. I mean, I love being a guest, you know, very much enjoyed being a guest on this show, of course, and so the great thing about being a host, I don't know whether you find this as well, is that I used to, well, for example, I used to run a radio show across hearts, a local radio show here in the UK, and it was all about, it was called the business, and, and it was about starting a business, and I had just started a business, so so I was able, through my own curiosity, if you like, to sort of get all sorts of guests onto the show who would not only help explain that journey, but also I was intensely curious about what they would have to say. And it could be anything about financing or marketing or things like that. All those areas. Yeah. And it's aligned so nicely with what I was doing. And so there was a purpose in that. So as a, as a host, you have more control and you can find out. you set the agenda and you can satisfy your own curiosity and in my current podcast Mericast, i'm interviewing my passion is about interviewing people who have been on their entrepreneurial journey yeah they say you're a great successful entrepreneur you're fantastic and then talk about how fantastic they are for half an hour i talk to them about the difficulties and challenges they had on that journey the bumps in the road if you like and i've managed to get some great stories from people who are seemingly incredibly successful but have gone through some quite basic fears. Here's one of them suffered from imposter syndrome. We spent ages just not able to launch a product because they thought that they would kind of quote get found out, you know, for not knowing enough about product. In fact, there was somebody who made millions, but wasn't happy with themselves because they'd done it and they'd actually become quite a nasty person in doing it. So they went back to the drawing board. They took a couple of years off and they grew an authentic business instead. And so they're much happier. Almost as rich as they were before, but they've done it in the right way. And then I met somebody who decided they wanted to run a business in four days a week and the day off they were going to have was Wednesday, which is not the day that most people would choose, but they wanted to run it in a certain style. And, and and the lesson was that they were able to overcome, they had a particular thing about Wednesday, they were able to be happy in the way they were organizing their work. My getting back to your saying is that as a host, you have more control. And I just have this insatiable curiosity to find out about people's journeys as a host. As a guest, I love being a guest because it challenges my thinking because I'm getting asked, you know, great questions by itself and anybody else's podcast who's, who I appear on. And so that kind of stimulates the, the gray matter as well.
0: Well, one of the things I particularly love about being a host is being exposed to people's different opinions like it's interesting to hear you say about the curiosity and that with your radio show even that was a way for you to explore a topic and to get great insights even probably mentorship really from people who were already on that journey and had been on the path and recently had a chat with Alex and Filippo from Pros. Where he was saying much the same thing that he started his podcast to be able to ask people who were much further along in their journey those kinds of questions and how much that really helped him as a business person and as an entrepreneur but it's also interesting to hear that i find it's interesting that people can have very different opinions about things and they can all be right. <laughs> and that, that's something that I find very interesting. It's like, there isn't always just one right opinion. They can be right for different reasons. They could be right because of how it applies to their aspect of the world. Or let's say, for example, like people saying, like, I'm trying to think who specifically. Mark Asquith from Captivate FM, who came on the show just recently, was saying about as a show host, that his belief is you have to have your own content out there as well as guest stuff. Because otherwise it's just that you're not really getting that chance to shine and let your own expertise come through, which I get, and I like that. And it makes a lot of sense to me. And also different people talk about having different varieties of content and I'm playing with some of that stuff just to see what sort of difference it makes. And it is interesting to see some of my shorter episodes get more downloads. Some of the book reviews I've done recently have done quite well with downloads and I thought, okay, this is kind of good to have a play with the content and keep it interesting. And also does more like when I go on someone else's show, I'm going on there as an expert, I'm going on there as somebody who talks about a specific thing. That's very clear. But when it's my own show, I'm not always the expert. I'm the, sometimes just the person asking questions and sometimes I'll add in my stuff, so, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but this is where I feel maybe you do as well, that you get to be a part of that collaborative thought yeah. leadership because yeah. you get to exposed to different ideas and perspectives and you can challenge your opinions or challenge other people's opinions with that yeah. and that's
1: what i love about it you're absolutely right and until the days of radio because this was a live radio show that's going out and you know there's no, oh, no stuff or anything like that and so i was kind of grappling with this kind of this deck you know where i was raising volumes bringing up doors fading things out fading things in i had no idea what i was doing really and i'd sort of received very rudimentary training in what to do and I realized that, you know, well, I did a couple of early episodes where I was so busy concentrating on the technical aspects of the show that I found that I was doing an interview, but it was clear when I played it back that I hadn't really listened to what the person, the guest had been saying and had been asking a sort of set of standard questions. And then I realized, Trevor, you've got a, it's almost like you're driving a, a car. You need to learn the technical stuff. But in my case, there's no one else there to do it. So it becomes like, you know, an automatic thing. It becomes part of your subconscious and then that frees up your time. And the joy of doing what we do is asking the questions and then really listening to the answers and to not worry about what questions you were going to ask. Because depending on what the answers are, you know, is that that might lead to better questions, you know, that might just occur to you on the spot. And also the spontaneity of those questions is often what makes a radio show or a podcast feel more natural and authentic in the fact that it is a genuine conversation, not just some guy reading out questions in a dull monotone and not listening to the answers. And so I kind of learned my skill of presenting the hard way on local live radio, where I was really struggling to start with. And then once I mastered things, then my confidence came because I realized that the most important thing was that no matter how badly something was going on, whether the jingle had played or not, or things like that, you just lock in to the guest and it's as if no one's there. It's you, him, her, whoever sort of sitting in a couple of cozy armchairs by a roaring fire and just having a great chat about something. And somebody told me that fireplace sitting in a couple of armchairs and and there's no one else. You don't think about the listeners. You don't think about anything like that. You think about what the listener might want to ask, but you don't, but you don't necessarily think there's thousands of people out there. You just think we have a great conversation and that's the best way to produce a great show.
0: I I agree with that totally. Uh, You have to be really present with the person that you're with and you don't want to neglect it. you know that people will be listening to this but my philosophy in podcasting hasn't really changed since I first started of I want to have interesting conversations I want to have the kind of conversations that if I was in a bar or a restaurant maybe I'll stop by myself because I don't want to be rude to company I might have but I hear this conversation I'm going to start tuning into it because it's oh that's really interesting I might even actually want to go and join in with it and that's I think that's a great aim to have as a podcaster, especially in the sort of realm of you know, the different styles of podcasting, but for the style of podcasting that, that we're in, I'm someone who's recommending people to be on podcasts as a guest, helping people to launch shows. And yet it's not right for everybody. And, and also there are people who are already getting into this, who are not serving themselves well for it. As you mentioned, there's a lot of boring podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder from your opinion, what would. Other than sort of having that cozy fireside nature chat, what are the things that people could be doing to correct this and to be more interesting and engaging and listenable as podcasters, whether they're guesting
1: or hosting on shows? That's a really, another great question. If I put myself into the shoes of a listener, you know, I mean, I've had, we've had a lot of dates internally about this, about, about our own sort of podcast and how we do that. I personally like shows where there is imagination in way, in the way the show is put together for example yes you have an opening sort of bit of music and you do an introduction and you go to the guest i like to to break up a little bit as you go through you know and i don't mean with ads or anything like that but just if it's one guest i personally and i know not everybody likes this but i i quite like to do a little voiceover in the middle for example where if a conversation has it's focusing so that you've always got segments of a conversation. That's a personal thing. I know not everybody likes that, but that's one thing. Because if you listen to a lot of really well put together, really there's a lot of clips and things coming in and, and so there's a lot of variety. So you never, in your mind, sort of get bored with what you're listening to. And it's also the way things are put together. There's a sequence and there is a logical flow to it. It's very like writing, actually, that a lot of the art is in the signposting of what you're, of what you're doing is that yes, the content's very important, but it's also you're, you're, you're telling the readers in the case of writing what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you've told them. And so you're guiding. So part of it is the quality of the content. a lot of podcasts, I think get lost in that there is some great nuggets in that podcast buried 30, 35 minutes in. But is anyone ever going to get to that point if the previous 28, 29 minutes weren't really up to it so a lot of it is really kind of helping the listener sort of sideways i'm not perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination but it's my theory if you like but you might have some better ideas than me i'm, I'm all ears as well it's to me. i mean what you're talking about there is kind of like burying the lead yeah people yeah. are hiding
0: the thing that might actually be the most important thing about that particular conversation yeah. and that's interesting to me because i see some podcasters doing this and i am playing with this idea myself of pulling out a snippet of the conversation play right at the start so like you kind of the first thing you hear is a snippet of the conversation Mm. and then a bit of an explainer and an introduction and then you have to wait to get the full context and that makes sense to me it's like okay well this is the bit you most need to hear or it's probably going to be the biggest hook for the show so let's start with that and but let's not give you the whole thing let's give you enough that's like all right i'm hungry for this i'll probably listen to the whole show to hear the rest of that that's making it sticky I think that's clever
1: and certainly something that with a bit more editing skill i might start doing myself we now do a when we release a podcast we do a trailer the week before which i think has really helped us we're still in the early days of this particular podcast but we interviewed a guy who who'd had a fascinating view on knowing what you're worth you know he'd started a business And he was always, he'd got advice from somebody about what, how much to invoice, you know, what sort of rate to charge and so on. Which is a question that almost everybody wants to know, you know, sort of when they're, when they're, and he was just fascinated. And his mentor had said something to him, I probably get this not exactly right, but along the lines of, if you are putting in the invoice and you're looking at it and you're just about to send it off and you look at the amount and it makes you laugh then you're probably charging a bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> and I personally had had other advice that you should invoice something that makes you feel slightly uncomfortable, just slightly. And that, that is roughly what you I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah, there's lots of different things. It is an art as well as a science, you know, sort of in terms of, and obviously you help these matters by having a day rate, being clear about where your terms are and, and so on. But in terms of the art of the invoice, yeah, he was absolutely fascinating on sort of knowing his work. And that was the trailer clip that we did. And the trouble with you know, our most recent guest was that he said so many things that were of interest, and that I probably, in retrospect, should have done two shows on him. But we packed it all into one anyway.
0: Lessons for the future, and it yeah. is is a constant learning thing. Uh, anyone who thinks they can start a podcast and they're going to be well prepared and know everything, you're in for a shock. But it's <laughs> same as anything, is it's not about starting perfect. It's not about having all the answers or having it all figured out when you start. Just start, and yeah, it might be a bit. It might be a bit boring initially, and you have to figure out how to make it interesting. Or you might be a bit flat as a host or a guest. You have to figure out how to liven that up or work with someone, get some coaching on that. There's a whole load of things that have to go into this. And there's the lessons of, all right, well, maybe sometimes we do think about perhaps we, if somebody who's really interesting, we extend that show and make it into two episodes or we invite them back. So there's a lot here. Let's pause this and let's arrange for you to come back and continue this conversation which gives you and the audience something to look forward to so you know there's a lot of really great things to learn this has been a very enjoyable and enlightening conversation and i really appreciate it and i know that some people may be wanting to maybe come and check out your own podcast or find out more about you what's going to be the best way
1: for them to do that well the podcast itself is called the merry cast so my name is Trevor Meriden. So there is a bit of <laughs> some wordplay there Yeah, in that particular case. It's yeah my other passion alongside content and thought leadership is about the entrepreneurial journey. When I started the business, I didn't have a lot in what I was doing. And it was all about, it's all about guests telling me how they gained their confidence to go on and do great things. We'll have links for people to come in and okay. connect with you or check out your podcast in the show notes for anyone
0: who would like to go and check that. Go visit the show notes and you'll find everything you need there. And of course, make sure you're following the show whilst you're there. Trevor, I ask, I like to ask people, what
1: is your influence and persuasion superpower? I think that I have a knack and I don't think it's, I'm not sure whether it's come out of this interview or not, but I have a knack of, at quite critical moments, you know, where there is tension in the air, where there are arguments, if you go one way or the other, is that I like to diffuse situations a little bit by, possibly through humor. Sometimes I'm not saying, I'm not saying I've got a great sense of humor. I'm not saying that I'm because a lot of people who say that haven't, I? I'm just saying I, I, seem to have course, a knack. Yeah. I seem to have a knack of making when we're having a negotiation or something like that so that then they can approach a conversation in a more relaxed frame of mind so that the conversation goes well, doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to go in my favor, that conversation, but it means it's a better conversation. So I think I help you, people, you relax. I help to give them confidence in the conversation we're having. That's a great superpower to have with a podcast host for sure (laughs) sure. sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) i do like to give my audience book recommendations because i know uh, hungry learners who listen to the show and i wonder if there's any books for you maybe something you've read recently or something that's had an impact on you that says hey trevor what book would you recommend that i read okay what
1: would it be okay and i'll be quite personal here at the moment is that up until i was about 40 or so i had a big concern and that concern was, was worry. I used to worry about everything. And I read a book, it's a very old book by Dale Carnegie, who everybody knows from the, you know, how to win friends and influence people. I'm not talking about that book. I'm talking about a book that he wrote that is less, well, it is well known, but it's less well known than that one called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's mm, an old, book. It, you, know, you can tell it was written like in the 1930s or 40s. It's very old style, things like that. And it's a bit, some of it's a bit dated and focusing, but the principal lessons in there have served me in good stead about living your life in the moment, about about the damage that worry can do to you physically, as well as mentally, about really kind of Getting Worry Out of Your Mind, that changed my life, that book, for the better. So I could can, I can make no recommendation that that book is by my bedside. I mean, it's there whenever I feel little moments of self-doubt sort of coming along. So I would say to to your listeners that that is one book that inspired me because I was heading down a bad road at that point, And it was completely changed the direction of my life. If you get even 10% out of that, what I got out of it, then I think it'll be a, a good read for you. Great. That's a great recommendation, actually.
0: And I think, you know, I have certainly very familiar with How to Influence and Influence People. I have read How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, and it is a very good book. Great principles in it. And in a day and age where many people are struggling with mental health and depression and worries and fears, probably is a good book to check out. I do need, to, we do need to wrap things up, unfortunately. But I I wonder if there's one thing above everything else that
1: you most hope people would take away from this conversation, what would that be? When we talk about things like thought leadership that we understand that all the listeners understand that thought leadership is really is not the preserve of brainy people senior people eccentric mad professor types you know it's really not thought leadership is for all that actually we all have thoughts that we can contribute to a a debate that we're worth saying and that the biggest sin if you like in in that is whatever wisdom and knowledge that is in you get it out of you okay and share it and you know and because you will find there are other people with other bits of that puzzle who will help you put it together so if there's one thing i get people say it's like if you, it's better out than in if you like in <laughs> terms of your thoughts and also you know the other thing that people that don't do nearly enough is that the once once it's out that they don't do enough with it they don't seek to develop the ideas and so on Everybody has so much knowledge and expertise in them, and you make use of them like about, you know, sort of 1% of it. And if we got it all out there, then the world would be a much better place. I absolutely agree. And that's a great point to finish up on. So, Trevor Murdoch, thank you
0: so much for coming and being a guest on Speaking Influence. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for tuning in to the very last episode of Speaking Influence. But remember, I'm not going anywhere we are coming back on this very same RSS feed as Podfluence. So if you're listening to this show and the transition's already gone through and you're seeing well, it's It's already Podfluence. Well, at the time of publication, it was not. It was still speaking influence. And so we are gonna be having a much bigger focus on the world of podcasting for building your authority and becoming a thought leader. Hopefully you've taken some great notes away from that conversation with Trevor, which I really, really enjoyed. As things are changing and transitioning a bit, I'm gonna be taking a little bit of a break whilst I get to grips with my new job. And if you want to know a bit more about that, tune into the short episode that I'm gonna record and put out a little bit after this uh, about telling you who I'm working with and why and what i'll be doing and what's going to be happening with the show and i'll be recording a new introduction episode to podfluence which is going to explain everything that the show is going to be about so i hope you'll stick with us for that and in the meantime i look forward to hearing your thoughts about what we've talked about in this episode do you have some ideas around thought leadership have you taken something useful away from listening in today And I look forward to coming and connecting with you again soon. If you are a regular listener to the show and this is uh, listening as the episode is new, I hope you are having a wonderful July. If you have summer holidays coming up, have an amazing summer holiday. For regular listeners of the show, thank you for being with me through two and a half years of speaking influence. And as we do make this transition, I'm looking forward to having a little time off from the show and coming back. Loud and proud with Podfluence very soon. So wherever you're going, wherever you're doing, have an amazing rest of your day, a wonderful summer, and we'll connect again very soon. Bye bye.